The West Virginia Penitentiary in Moundsville operated from 1876 until 1995. Originally holding only 251 inmates, it would end up with as many as 2,000. Its history is full of abuse and death, and there are many that claim that it is still haunted to this very day. Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Welcome back. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster, and I wanted to thank all of our new followers. We were fortunate enough to be featured on Podbean's listening app, and a lot of people have listened and followed our show, and I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to have you listening. The West Virginia Penitentiary started out with good enough intentions. When West Virginia succeeded from Virginia in 1863, The new state was left in need of public institutions, and the governor started lobbying for a penitentiary, but at first he was denied. The state needed money and time to build what it needed. Prisoners were held in West Virginia's county jails, with some being sent to other states for incarceration. They started putting inmates in a small wooden structure in Wheeling, but after nine inmates escaped, The governor was finally taken seriously, and his penitentiary proposal was finally approved. It was February of 1866 when they approved the purchase of 10 acres in Moundsville for the prison that the inmates would help build themselves. I never knew that this was so common, but after doing a few of these episodes, I'm really seeing that this was really common back in the day that the prisoners helped build these facilities. But in the meantime, they had to build a temporary prison to hold inmates. It was a wooden prison with a wooden stockade around it. This gave them time to design and build the state's first penitentiary. They chose a design similar to the Northern Illinois Penitentiary. It was a Gothic revival style with scintillated edge constructed of stone with turrets, battlements, and lancet windows. The penitentiary was built on the edge of Moundsville, but would eventually become the center of the town. It would be surrounded by 24-foot tall stone walls. The stone was quarried from Marshall County in the Cameron and Rosby's Rock area, with some coming from 4th Street in Moundsville. I thought that the Ohio State Penitentiary looked like a castle, but this looks exactly like a castle. It's actually, it's more like a fortress. Work on the first phase was complete in 1876 and cost $363,000. Additional cells were added on in 1890. The structure is mainly like two cell blocks spanning out from a four-story admin building. The building had a warden's quarters on the fourth floor, a place for female prisoners on the third floor, and a hospital on the second floor. The prison expanded gradually after its opening. It covered 19 acres, 
Workshops and outbuildings were constructed, such as a wash house and a bakery. Steam heat would be added in the 1870s, and they got rid of the coal lamps for actual electricity in the early 1900s. In 1894, they installed an elevator in the administration building, and not long after, a beautiful porch on the front, making the stone exterior look much more inviting. By the 1900s, they were putting the inmates to work using work programs, you know, instead of just having them build the facility. There were several workshops where the inmates worked on carpentry, paint and wagon, stone and brickyard, blacksmithing, tailoring. There was a shoe shop, a bakery, and a 200-acre farm. The prisoners also worked in the kitchen, the stables, and the wash house. Prisoners worked nine hours a day, except for Sunday afternoons, Sunday, and holidays. This put the prison in a good place financially, and the inmates were busy. A school and a library that would grow to contain over 5,000 books were also created, and inmate education became a priority. They even required inmates that couldn't read to attend school every night. Inmates could attend church services, play on a baseball team that competed locally in Mansville and the Ohio Valley. Many played in the prison band, which performed in the bandstand in the prison yard. They built a two-story building for the female inmates in 1920. They had their own dining hall and kitchen and large wall separating them from the men. The women worked in a shirt shop making collars and cuffs for the men's shirts that they had made in their tailoring shop. Women also worked in domestic jobs as well. Eventually, a coal mine opened a mile away and they put prisoners to work in it. This saved the prison $14,000 a year in energy costs. The inmates were actually allowed to stay at the mine under the care of the mine foreman, who wasn't even a prison employee. I don't know if I missed something, but I was really shocked that I did not read about like any hijinks coming up with this coal mine thing where these prisoners were just staying under the care of a foreman. Like no one escaped or anything. When a prisoner had completed their time and were able to walk free, they would give them a civilian's outfit and $3 if they didn't have any money in their account from their work hours. The prisoners were paid the same wage that the state paid for labor if they worked overtime, which could help them support their families. They were encouraged to work overtime and make the money to support their families. Because of this, often inmates would have hundreds of dollars in their accounts when they were released. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D. B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 
for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. It really seems like the penitentiary had great ideas at the beginning. But by 1929, prison overcrowding was becoming a problem. Two inmates slept on the bunk, and they started putting a third on the mattress on the floor. Prison overcrowding was such an issue, the prison doubled in size. The inmates were used again to build a new wing that was completed in 1939. They expanded the prison more after this as well, but the construction was delayed due to the steel shortage because of World War II, and that expansion wasn't complete until 1959. On November 7, 1979, 15 inmates escaped. The prison break was initiated by Jack S. Hart, a 36-year-old convicted murderer. Jack was working as a prison barber, and he let an unarmed guard know that he was ready to return his barber tools when he pulled out a 32 caliber automatic pistol overpowering another guard he took the keys to a door that literally just opened onto a residential street the prisoners took a guard with them out the door and when they saw a car approaching they pushed the guard in front of it to make the car stop in the car was Philip Kesner, an off-duty trooper, and his wife. The prisoners pulled him and his wife from the car, and Ronald T. Williams, who was incarcerated for murder, shot Phillips fatally. His wife was not seriously injured. They stole the car, and it was later found abandoned 40 miles away. One of the escapees was deceased in the vehicle. He had apparently been shot by Philip Kesner before he was murdered. Eight of the prisoners were back in custody by the next day. Many more found over the course of the next week. But Ronald T. Williams remained at large for 15 more months. There were only 24 guards on duty the night of the prison break. 24 guards to 690 prisoners. By this time, violence behind the prison walls was getting out of hand. Only half of the 690 inmates were able to actually be locked inside their cells. Stabbings were becoming as frequent as one fatality a month at a point. The prison also became known as a place with poor control over homosexual violence. They even had a place named the Sugar Shack. It was really the recreation room, but it was known for rape, gambling, fighting, and murder. 36 homicides took place behind the penitentiary walls. R.D. Wall, who was known as a snitch, was jumped by three other inmates on his way to the boiler room. It's said that when they were done with him, he was in pieces. William Snyder, known as Red, was born in 1946 and was known to be in and out of prison. He started with arson, but his crimes escalated. When Red was released from the West Virginia Penitentiary in 1967, he killed two men within 48 hours of release, one being his own father. Red was known to be the most dangerous man in the penitentiary. The word around the pen is that if you left Red alone, he would leave you alone. 
I guess he liked to chew tobacco and watch Days of Our Lives. But apparently on Sunday, November 15th, 1992, the guards were comfortable letting the inmates roam around a bit. Red's friend, who was not being so friendly, went into Red's cell, and while the men were laughing and shooting the shit, he pulled out a sharp piece of metal from a jail bed and stabbed Red 37 times. Inmates' bodies that went unclaimed were buried in the prison cemetery with a stake holding like this license plate style plate of metal that stated their name and their inmate number. Red was so well-liked by the guards that they started a fundraiser to get him back home to his family. They didn't want him to be buried in the prison cemetery. And it worked, and he is buried in an unmarked grave in his hometown. The U.S. Department of Justice ranked the penitentiary as one of the top 10 most dangerous. Charles Manson actually asked to be transferred there in 1983. He was denied. I think that that's a good thing because I don't know if he would have succeeded in getting a following there or not, but I think Charles Manson could have done some damage there. Between 1899 and 1949, 85 men were executed by hanging at the penitentiary. Apparently, crowds of locals would gather to watch because, you know, hangings were open to the public. But that was until June 19, 1931, when Fred Heyer was hanged for the murder of his wife. The trap door opened and Fred fell, but he was instantly decapitated. That was when the penitentiary closed hangings to the public and started only letting people attend by invitation. The last man to be hanged in the facility was Bud Peterson, who was in for killing someone over a gambling debt. It was decided that hanging was cruel in 1949. They started executing people using the electric chair. Nine men were executed in the facility via electric chair before it was decided that capital punishment was prohibited in 1965. They literally executed the nine men by electric chair in a building that they called the death house. It's no longer standing today if you decide to go do a tour. There was a riot in 1986. Security was apparently loose and I didn't really see what exactly this means. Maybe it meant that they got comfortable letting them roam around again or that they couldn't lock them all in their cells again. But I guess there was an assortment of problems in the prison, like bad plumbing and so many insects that the insects were literally causing disease, and rats. Rats were basically taking over, and it said that inmates would wake up and just have rats sitting on them. It said that guards would just try to kill them all the time. There was just so many that there was just no way that they could. So a group of 20 inmates who called themselves the Avengers, they even had a president in their group, Danny Lehman. The Avengers stormed the mess hall, put knives to the workers' and officers' throats, slammed them to the ground, and handcuffed them with the guards' handcuffs. Hostages were taken, 
and they asked Danny, the president of the Avengers, to negotiate. They basically negotiated a new list of rules and standards. The riot lasted two days. Three inmates were killed. And it seems to me that this really brought attention to the bad conditions because in 1986, the West Virginia Supreme Court ruled that confinement to the five by seven cells was cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, the cruel and unusual punishment only lasted over a hundred years with two to three men living in these five by seven cells. Over the next nine years, the prison slowly came to an end, officially closing its doors in 1995. The facility is said to be haunted. Ghost Adventures did an episode at the facility. People claim that there's a shadow man at the facility and they've even photographed him. People that enter the facility claim to be accosted by unknown forces and hear strange noises. You can take day tours or six hour paranormal tours at the facility. They even have a haunted attraction for Halloween, the Dungeon of Horrors. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode on the West Virginia Penitentiary. Tune in next Sunday for a brand new episode of Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. Stay safe and remember, evil people are everywhere. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast five-star rating, sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.